It drizzled last night, and my lake is now shrouded in dense fog. In this mist, I notice for the first time witch hair draped over branches of the big cedar, the same cedar that I slung up blueberry in my backpack, hopefully high enough and out of reach of the long black socks fox. No swimming this morning, as I put on rain gear, mostly for the shrubbery car wash to come. The wind is high as I make tea and eat bars. Here's hoping the wind clears things out and gives me views from the Feltman Fire Tower. Almost immediately, I cross an oily wetland on boards, one broken and sunken. A few days ago, the ranger told me to take it slow on these crossings, some of which are high up on stilts with nothing to grab hold to should I lose balance. After falling once already and nursing a bruised foot, I tell myself it is absolutely forbidden to fall again and carefully, oh so carefully, shuffle across. You're listening to The P-Rag, Unfiltered Adventures of the Blissful Hiker. I'm Allison Young, the Blissful Hiker, sometime professional flutist, sometime voice artist, and full-time pedestrian. Like the small backpacking essential of the same name, the P-Rag shares the unglamorous but vital truth about empowerment as badass people who really don't need permission to blaze our own trails in this journey we call life. I want to thank Lecky Trekking Poles for supporting the P-Rag podcast. If you want to be a blissful hiker, Lecky's should be in your hands. And Belega, makers of the best blister-resist, non-slouching, foot-massaging socks for the long haul. Last year, I walked two long-distance through-hikes, New Zealand's Te Araroa and the Pacific Crest Trail in the western United States. My plan this year was to hike two shorter trails close to home, the Kekakabek, a continuation of the superior hiking and border route trails, and part of the 4,600-mile North Country Trail, one I'm definitely section hiking, and then Isle Royale, a national park in the far northwest corner of Lake Superior. When the pandemic hit, hiking all seemed a bit nonsensical, and I set my plans aside— until the opportunity came in the form of an offer to stay at a friend's empty house in Grand Marais, just a short flight from Isle Royale. My plane was delayed on the first day, so I hiked a small loop to magical Huggenin Cove, then continued to Lake Feltman at the urging of a hiker pal for my radio days. It's so quiet here, it feels expectant, as though I need to walk gently and observantly, In an odd sense, I feel even more a visitor to this natural setting of wolves and moose, beaver and loons, than anywhere I've ever hiked. The forest is dark and wet, and I walk well all alone this early morning in spite of my foot being bruised, hopefully not anything worse. I know the ridge comes soon, and it suddenly appears as expertly built stairs heading straight up to pines. The sun pushes through, silver and bright. Crickets with fancy wings leap out of my way as my feet walk on large stones in a kind of concrete emulsion. I pass a large pile of shredded hair and wonder what struggle happened here. There's no view whatsoever, 
only twisted branches eerily reaching up through the whiteout. But there is another surprise, one only possible to see in this dampness. Thousands upon thousands of spider webs outlined in glistening water droplets. Oddly, long filaments as much as 20 feet long string from branch to branch. A sandhill crane sounds her clackety metal noisemaker alarm as I pass, every note echoing in the canyon below. Seven lift at once on magnificent wings. They circle me as I stand transfixed, only to return and see me still there. So again they fly off, this time so close I can hear the whoosh of their wings. I walk in and out of trees, imagining the view I might have seen. A large beaver dam holds a pond above the trail, and I maneuver just below. How many beaver live in this community? And maybe more intriguing, how did beaver find their way here at all, 15 miles off the mainland? The fire tower floats into view. There's no improvement after 48 steps. So with a laugh and whistling a few lines from Misty, I decide to head back down. Moose tracks are everywhere in cloven V's, some sliding on the muddy slope. I come upon fresh piles of poop and wonder if I'll see them today. A couple comes towards me and say I'm the first person they've seen in days, likely because the planes haven't been flying. They advise me to claim the shelter with a view at the bay I'm coming to, and I tell them to nab sight too at the lake. Let's pause here for a second. Shelters, you might ask? I was actually kind of surprised myself, imagining large, three-sided buildings with platforms for a multitude of sleeping bags. While not the self-contained style of New Zealand huts with water tank, oftentimes fireplace, and fully enclosed, Isle Royale shelters are enclosed on three sides with wood and one with screen, including a loud, bangy door if you don't set it gently. They're also intended for individual use. Built by the Civilian Conservation Corps in the late 1930s, they're erected by docks and in locations where it was easy to haul and manipulate building materials. It doesn't really occur to me to use a shelter at all, but my tent and myself are damp this morning from the dew, and maybe spreading out on a wooden floor would be pretty nice. I'm on a long, straight, flat section with raspberry bushes over my head. Along the way, I see beaten-down areas where moose bed down for the night. I notice wolf tracks in the mud as big as my fist. Dragonflies hover in the grass, one a bright red with blue wings. It's clearing now, and it's getting hot. The heat and humidity take me by surprise as I expected the refrigerator effects of the big lake to keep the temperatures low. The bay feels close now as more cedars appear, as well as a new type of meadow, the grass a burnt sienna. Two pale sherbet butterflies flutter in harmony. At the turnoff for Sisquit Bay, I come to a huge dock with five bulldozers ready for work the beginning of the coming week, which is, thankfully, not until tomorrow. The bay is a giant horseshoe facing east with the campsite on the south flank. Massive bright yellow floats keep the building waves from eroding the unfinished worksite. The place is deserted now, 
And I have the pick of shelters, taking the one with a view as directed. Sure, it's just a bare floor with a ceiling sloping slightly, but it's all mine tonight. The ranger told me two days ago in Windigo not to deface the walls, which are plenty defaced already. Lots of bragging, a few pictures, and a good share of vulgarity. Some pretty clever. I laugh the hardest with the simple statement, We farted here. I change out of my wet clothes and hang them up, dumping everything out of blueberry and setting my mattress in a corner so I can cozy into Big Greeny and watch the sun peek out, showing off the mountains I'll climb over tomorrow. Two hikers arrive named Christian and Jamie and take the other shelter. They're carrying a weather radio and tell me to expect scattered thunderstorms tomorrow. A scrawny black fox leaps onto the picnic table and poses for handouts, but I disappoint him by banging a pot instead. The fog returns, then lifts for a sunset in a deep magenta, a color only seen at these latitudes. Well, it might rain and it might not. That's tomorrow, and right now the air is finely crisp, and I'm comfortably spread out in this massive structure all my own. I close my eyes now, and I prepare for whatever tomorrow brings. You're listening to The P-Rag, Unfiltered Adventures of the Blissful Hiker. Through sharing my stories of walking long-distance trails as a solo, middle-aged female hiker, I hope I can empower you to hike your own hike, too. If you're enjoying the storytelling, consider subscribing to The P-Rag wherever you get your podcasts. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, take the time to leave a review. It really helps others find The P-Rag. Well, maybe Christian was right about the rain. It's drizzling, and the clothes I hung up to dry inside are damp anyway from the dew. The good news is that in spite of the gloom, the ridge that I'll walk today is visible. Double humps of tall trees. Drizzle, rain, thunderstorms, they're not going to stop my forward progress as I immediately meet sloppy black mud. But I'm wearing rain pants, which serve double duty for actual rain and for the wet bushwhacking nightmare I've been warned about. Apparently, not so many walk the Feldman Loop to begin with, and this year, the trail has seen fewer hikers and even less maintenance. The beach is flat, red rocks gleaming in the morning light. I lean down, careful not to tip over with my pack still on, and send one skipping. One, two... Three. I can see out to the islands all in a row at the point, then frighten a flock of mergansers running on the water and flapping wildly just to get out of range. The trail ducks on and off the beach, entering a confusing bit of grass matted down with dark, coffee-colored water below in unknown depths. Why not just send me on the beach, I query the air, in a particularly nasty section. I decide to backtrack out of this mess, my shoes and socks completely soaked already and not willing to get more of my body wet. Picking my way along the sand, I notice moose tracks. Look here, I say to the air again, 
even the locals don't bother with this crappy trail. For a brief moment, it feels a bit like New Zealand, a kind of deja vu all over again, of epic mud and thick, overgrown wetlands with just one tiny plank to cross them before depositing me right back into the thick of it. I just have to laugh out loud thinking of my friends from Wanganui who suggested using the code word high grass to their Te Araroa visitors just in case they got into trouble or were about to lose their minds and want to quit the trail. The high grass here gets tangled on the boards, causing me to trip, though I manage to stay upright. A big, beautiful frog leaps into my path, and I try to get his photo before he leaps away. When I fail, I grab his leg and return him to his sitting. But he will have none of that, thank you very much, and hops right out of my reach. I cross a large creek on a bridge and eventually find my way through a boggy area and back on another beach, this time of pebbles sinking under my steps. At the end, a sign points to Island Mine, and I say goodbye to the beach, and hello to mud, moose, and wolf tracks leading the way. But the trail changes almost immediately, heading up a gradual slope through maple, oak, and birch, widening as the deep brush disappears completely, and most noticeably, the mud. My stride is long and full as I fly up the hill, my breath rhythmic with my stride. I come to a small wooden fence protecting a deep hole, remnants of a mine. It's lined with boulders, and I want a photo, but I'm very careful not to lose my camera because I'm pretty sure I wouldn't get it back. A few steps later, I come to a pile of tailings. Then it's up and up some more before heading down again steeply. I know I should be coming to the next campsite soon, but first I hit a small stream. People complained on forums that the water at this particular site was poor, and I see that someone has tried to remedy the situation by creating a boulder dam. Now it's pretty easy to collect water, and I quickly down an entire liter. Up the hill, I do reach the campsite junction, but continue on to the famous and highest trail on the Greenstone Ridge. Though I gotta say, a better name might be Green Tunnel Ridge, since it's all forest and pretty much no views at all. Still, it's incredibly easy walking after the past few days, and I cruise through noticing the sky above me clearing to a robin egg blue. At my feet are thousands of mushrooms, nearly all in bold bright yellow or stoplight red like clown noses. I pass a couple and a single man headed my way, and it feels like I've finally arrived on a trail as cruisy as the PCT. I skip past them to get to the summit of Mount Dazor and finally, hopefully, views. I reach some rock outcroppings and see bright blue water below, but it's obscured by trees, and I just assume I must not be at the top yet. I walk on and on, up and down, in and out of dense forest, until I finally realize that spot where I could see a small corner of blue water that was the summit. Not exactly dramatic for the highest point of the island, but I'm certainly happy to be in bright sunshine with the air dry and the wind blowing. I guess the thunderstorms just petered out. 
I even consider moving on since it's so early, but decide I'll just at least check out South Lake Dezor. The sites here are crowded and far above the lake. I set my pack in one, thinking, well, I guess I could stay here. But maybe I'll just take a second to check things out. There's no shelters in this out-of-the-way place, but since this is a weird year with COVID, the ranger told me I'm welcome to take a group site. I really didn't give it much thought when she told me, but now I'm curious as the sign for the group sites point in the opposite direction of the single sites. It's a fair distance, down and across a bridge, then back up again. I hear two young men talking to each other, and I see through the trees they're wading in the water, very close to the trail. Beautiful stairs have been built to an exquisite beach. Perfect! The site they claimed is across from the access, but the next site is all mine, precisely 100 steps away. I set the alley coop and then head to our shared beach to filter water and wade in. They're really nice guys, just about to enter nursing school and here on their very first backpack trip. It seems they're sharing a two-man tent, so things are a little bit crowded. They're loving the adventure anyway and tell me all about what's ahead, especially that the next lake is not that great. Boy, I made a very good choice to stay here tonight. They leave me alone to swim in crystal clear water with a sandy bottom. Not really much swimming, to be honest, as the water is only up to my hips, but so refreshing to dunk in. Dragonflies hunt for bugs, one not afraid to buzz close to my face. Dinner at the beach on a log, my feet crushed into the sand as waves gently touch my toes. The sunset show is directly in front of me, the clouds spelling a giant A and an arrow, pointing where, I wonder. It's absolutely quiet except for the loons, and I have the beach all to myself. I really hate to leave the magic, but finally mosquitoes send me off. Just as I pack up, a beaver starts swimming across the lake, a deep mauve purple now. Years ago, someone asked me if I was an animal, which one would I want to be? I'd have to say a beaver. They always have projects. They have a lovely home and community, and they're very much in charge. Have you ever heard the slap of a beaver tail? The wind is gentle in the trees, crickets chirping, the loons far in the distance, and the waves lapping. The stars are brilliant, and I'm all cuddled in. And I think to myself, just how did the beaver get to Isle Royale, 15 miles off the mainland? No one knows for sure, but talk about grit. My guess is, they swam. Thanks so much to Lecky Trekking Poles for supporting the PRAG podcast. If you want to be a blissful hiker, Lecky should be in your hands. And also Belega, the best blister-resist, non-slouching, foot-massaging socks for the long haul. And thank you, too, for listening. If you enjoy the storytelling, subscribe, rate, review the podcast at Apple Podcasts. This really helps others like you find the P-Rag. 
The music you're hearing is me playing flute from many, many years ago. You can find the music on iTunes, and I've put a link in the show notes. The show notes, more about my hikes all over the world, they're at my website, thepirag.com. Next week, the magic of perfect campsites continues, and I come upon one with a private cliff and beach, but then have to power through a series of thunderstorms, happy to find another shelter at a long finger-shaped cove. Until then, my friends, happy trails. Happy trails.